All right. Well, good morning, Doxa. Uh, it's great to see you guys. Corey, thanks so much for just opening up your life and just sharing a bit of your story. I appreciate that, man. Um, my goal today is what Corey said, to give you the fuzzy wuzzies. I think that's what he, what he said. I don't, I've never been claimed to do that to people, but hey, that's, that's great, okay? I never pictured myself as a fuzzy wuzzy type of guy, but... Uh, Whatever. Someone come and slap me after the service and that'll be good. Okay. But uh, man, today, go ahead and grab your Bible. Uh, open up to the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. Okay. We're going to be jumping in here. Um, we're going to continue this study that we have started uh, several weeks ago that's going to take us the, the better part of, of a year. And, uh, and here's what the goal is, guys. Okay. Our goal is to, to simply work, as, work through this Gospel to, to really just uncover and examine the man Jesus. This is our, this is our goal. And, and here's why, okay? When we talk about Jesus, we're, we're talking about the most significant human person, right, that has ever lived in the history of our world, all right? And, and while more books have been written regarding him, more paintings painted of him, and more songs sung about him, more than anyone else that has ever lived in the history of the world, there's still so much confusion about who he is, and really his audacious claim that he has good news for all people. And so what we do is, is just like Luke, is, is where our approach is, is, is one of examination. We're just gonna look at Jesus. And I, and I think that this is gonna really help everyone here, regardless of, of where you would say you're at in your faith, all right? For those of you who are Christians, this will be helpful for you, all right? If, if you're a Christian, as we go through this, our goal is, is Luke's goal, all right? That in the beginning of, of Luke's gospel, chapter one, right in his introduction, he, he, he's writing to Theophilus and he says, I'm writing this so that you can have certainty of your faith. And so that's our goal, that as we, as we teach through this gospel, that you would, you would grow in your certainty of faith, that your love and your affection would be stirred for Jesus and his gospel. All right, and if you're not a Christian here and, and you're just exploring the Doxa family, I really believe that, that you're going to benefit from this as well, that the way that you will be benefiting is that you're going to encounter historical facts that you're going to just have to decide what to do with. Right? You're going to be confronted with, okay, this happened, now, now what do I do with this? And, and so I really truly believe that it's going to be helpful for every single one of us as we hit, uncover this historical man, Jesus, and learn that he's actually not just a man, but he's the God-man. Now, as we get into this today, okay, here's, here's what's going on. Luke, as he, as he writes this gospel account, he's talking to a man named Theophilus. We get introduced to him in Luke chapter 1, and he's telling Theophilus really just the Jesus story as he's researched it through the lens of, of history. And here in chapter five, Luke introduces Theophilus uh, to a man named Peter, okay? Um, it's gonna be, he's named Simon, Simon Peter, and he tells him how, how Peter came to follow Jesus and really became his, his first disciple. And, and here's what I see Luke doing as he writes this, okay? As Luke is, is telling Theophilus the, the story of Peter becoming a disciple, underneath this text and underneath this timeline of events, I see really just an unwritten question. And I think that this question is, is both for Theophilus, that for sure as Theophilus was reading this, I think he was thinking this, but as we read it, I think that we should be thinking this, that as we look at Peter, Luke is begging us to ask the introspective question, and I want you to write this down, is what I see of Peter true of me? This is the question that we're asking as we get into this, is what I see of Peter true of me? Because what Luke is actually doing here is he's describing Peter's life and in doing so, he's describing what a disciple of Jesus actually looks like. And so we're going to see five marks of a disciple that are going to help us and they're going to challenge us as we engage with God today. And so what we're going to do is let's just read through this and then we'll get to work on these five marks. Okay, so Luke chapter 5, verse 1 is where we're going to start. 
And this is what we see. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. I can't pronounce that. That's a good word. And he saw two boats by the lake. Now, let me just stop there, okay? And now you could be asking like, okay, what the heck is he going to say about this, right? But there's actually something really significant, okay? In this passage, all right, we can, we can see right off the bat that Jesus is, is on a lake and he's in a boat, okay? Again, why is that significant, right? Here it is, guys. The Sea of Galilee, all right, is an actual place in our world today. All right, I'm a, there's a couple pictures here, okay? It's this massive lake, right? And, and, and really, the way it works is this, is that the lake is so big and it has different towns around it that they all have different names for, for this lake. And so if you live on one side of the lake in a specific town, you call it the Sea of Gennesaret. I got it right that time, okay? But if you live on the other side of the sea and you live in Galilee, you call it the Sea of Galilee. So there's different towns all around this huge lake that have different names for the same lake. But what I want you to realize, guys, is this is an actual place, all right? This is geography. This is a place that you can go and you can visit today. Now, in addition to this, okay, we see that there were boats, okay? And these were fishing boats because in the context in Galilee, this is decades or centuries of, of fishermen. This is the primary occupation that they would have. And so there's a lot of fishermen, a lot of fishing boats in this area. But these fishing boats are actually on display in Israel today. There's some pictures, okay? So you see that through archaeological digs that they've actually discovered some of these, these boats. Now, is it the actual one that, that Jesus was standing on? Probably not. But they were in the same time frame. And, and guys, here is, here is why I'm saying all this. Why did I spend any amount of time talking about a lake and some boats? The reason is this, guys. Anytime that I get the opportunity I want to reinforce that the Bible is not philosophy, it's history. All right, that these people, these places, these things, they're real. And the Bible is true. And so there really is a Sea of Galilee. There really were a lot of fishermen, and they really did have boats. All right, it's historically verifiable, and we need to know that. All right, because remember, this is Luke's approach as he writes this gospel. That, that Luke, is a, he's a physician and he's a historian. So this gospel isn't just written from a, a perspective of, of necessarily religious inspiration, but it's written from the perspective of this is historical facts. And I, and I want you to know, guys, that, that Luke's research as a historian, these historical facts that he points us to, they've stood the test of time. They've stood the test of academic scrutiny, and they still hold true that these things actually happened, these people actually existed. And so what we're investigating today and throughout this series is true. It's historical facts and it demands something from us. All right, so let's keep going. We have a lake, we have some boats, and this is what we see. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Peter, there's our guy, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught people from the boat. This is Jesus. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were, were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. 
From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. So guys, here's what I want you to see, okay? And I believe that, that through this passage, God is revealing to us five marks of a disciple. All right, that, that by looking at Peter, we see five things that should mark the life of every single Christian. And so if you are a Christian and you're here today, this is for you to evaluate your life by. Right, that you should take inventory and then consider, does my life match this? And if you're not, if you're, if you're sitting here and you're, you don't believe these things necessarily, but you're here and you're part of the family, I'm glad that you're here. I'm honored to teach you the Bible. But I want you to know that this is what we're shooting for, that even if our lives don't add up and doesn't look like this, and you would maybe label us like a hypocrite, this is what the goal is. And you just need to understand that Christians are not perfect. They're broken. They're sinful we all have issues, and so we don't reflect this perfectly, but it becomes a goal that we look towards as we look towards Jesus, and we can evaluate our life. And so do you have to ask the very real question as we go through this, and I hope that you guys talk about this at Connection Group this week. It's this, is my life marked by these five things? Very practical this morning. Is my life marked by these things? And so the first mark that we see is in verse one. Look back with me. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. I want you to circle the word of God in your Bible. He was standing by the lake of that place, all right? The first mark of, of a disciple is a disciple is marked by the word of God. And I'll say this, okay? We, we live in a, a society, in a city, and maybe even a country that does not know the true nature of God and the gospel, that they don't know what sin is, they don't know what the glory of God is, they don't know what his law is, who Jesus is, what happened on the cross, they don't know what faith is, they don't know what love is, they don't know what heaven and hell are. And therefore, because of all this uncertainty and, and just not a lack of knowledge, we need the word of God. And, and you could say, you might hear that and say, well, that's kind of a leap. Like, I don't know if we actually need the word of God or the Bible. But I want you to consider this, guys, okay? When we consider the created world that we live in, Right, everything that around us and, and us as, as created beings, right? philosophically and scientifically, there's no way to come to a concrete conclusion as to how creation came into existence because no one was there at the beginning of the world to see it. And so we can hypothesize and we can speculate through philosophy and science about what may have happened, but guys, the only way that we can know what truly happened is not through speculation, but it's through revelation. It's the word of God. It's the Bible. That the only person there was God. And so it's God who tells us how creation came into being. And we see in Genesis chapter one, verse two, that the Holy Spirit of God was there in this creation process. And it's that same Holy Spirit that inspires the writers of scripture to reveal who God is and what God says. And so we need the word of God to understand who God is. And we need the word of God to understand who we are as people and what we're created for. Because when we talk about the Bible, as it relates to humanity, I want you to think of it like this, okay? The Bible brings about many things in our life, but I wanna focus on three specific things that the Bible does in our life. It brings about revelation, salvation, and sanctification. Three things. So when we talk about revelation, all right, theologically, we, we kind of lump this into two categories. We, we talk about general revelation and we talk about specific re revelation. All right, general revelation is, is literally what the apostle Paul speaks to in Romans chapter one, where he talks about how we can just look at the created world around us and the beauty and the intricacy and know that, okay, there's gotta be something that created this. 
What is going on? I, I remember for me, growing up, when I was in elementary school and junior high, every summer I would go on a trip to Colorado with my dad and we would climb uh, mountains, all right? The, every summer we climbed a different 14,000 foot mountain. And I remember being at the top of those mountains, not a Christian, didn't even know who God was, had never really heard the name Jesus. But I remember being at the top of those mountains and looking out and being like, something had to have made this, right? I mean, I just was, I was taken back and being like, okay, what is, this is way bigger than me. What created this? This is general revelation, right? That the, that the heavens and the earth, they scream the glory of God. It's all pointing us to God and his nature. Now, in addition to this, we have specific revelation that this is the Bible, right? That the only way that we know who God is, it's not by looking at nature, right? We, we look at nature and say, okay, something had to have made this, but we don't know who God is. We don't know who Jesus is. And so the only way that we know about Jesus and the gospel is through the Bible. It's through specific revelation that the Bible is God's words to us, that he tells us who he is and who we are and the plan that he has for us. And the Bible, it points us to that he is this great created king and we are his beloved creation that he wants and desires so much. And as the Bible tells this story, we get into this second thing of salvation, right? That it reveals to us God, but it reveals to us his salvation plan, right? That every page of the Bible, guys, every book of the Bible, it points us to Jesus. It's the gospel, right? That, that God created us to be in relationship with him, but because we chose sin instead of God, we exist separated. This is the nature of sin. Sin separates us, and we all have this issue. But in the midst of this separation, Jesus enters into human history, lives a perfect life that I couldn't live. He dies a death that I should have died. And on the cross, he takes that sin that separates from me from God and brings me back through faith. This is the gospel. This is salvation. The Bible points us to this. Now, many Christians will say, okay, well, this is the end game, right? Is we, we realize our sin and we come to Jesus and we say a prayer and it's, it's over, right? And then you just go on and you do whatever you want and you act like a jerk for the rest of your life. Guys, that's not it, okay? Because it's this third thing, sanctification. Sanctification is literally the process of becoming like Jesus. The Apostle Paul, he talks about this in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. He says that the goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so how do we do that? Guys, it's not by trying harder. It's not by trying to be better and do all this stuff. It's by the Spirit of God, the power of God, working through the Word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that the Word of God was, is breathed out and it's profitable. It's good for us. Why? Timothy goes on to say, or it says, because it's profitable for training, for correcting, for rebuking, and raising us up in righteousness. That through the word of God and the spirit of God, God transforms us and creates us more and more into the image of Christ. So the word of God marks the life of a Christian because it works with the Holy Spirit to cause someone to become a Christian, to live like a Christian and to stay a Christian. And so for you guys, this is what I'd say. You need the word of God in your life. I need the word of God in my life. And we need the word of God because we all need Jesus, every single one of us. We're broken, we're messed up, and the only hope we have is Jesus. And when properly taught, guys, the word of God, the Bible, it's all about Jesus. That's why we are never going to gather 
at Doxa without opening up the Bible. And, and I love preaching to you. I don't know if you love listening to it, but I love being up here talking to you and teaching you the Bible. But you need to be in the scriptures yourself. You need to be reading and studying. You need to be in connection group. You need to be reflecting and memorizing and meditating on the scriptures. You need to have a discipline in your life to be in the word of God if you hope to be close to God. This is the way God speaks to us. This is the way God reveals. This is the way that God through the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. So a disciple is marked by the word of God. Okay, that's number one. Let's keep going. Verse two shows us the second mark. And he saw two boats by the lake but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, this is Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, I toiled all night long and took nothing. And I want you to underline this next part, circle it. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Here's what I want you to see, guys. The second thing for us to know is that a disciple is marked by obeying the voice of Jesus. Considering, consider what we just said, or what we just read, okay? We see that, that Peter and the other fishermen, they're, they're washing their nets when Jesus comes to them, okay? So we have to ask the question, okay, well, what does that mean? Are they clean freaks? Like, do they just wanna, what, are they, what are they doing, right? No, it means that their day's work is done. All right, that they're closing up shop, they're, they're done for the day, they're cleaning the nets. If you own a business, is when you shut the door, you lock it, you turn off the lights, and you start mopping, okay? They're, they're done working for the day. And so here's what Jesus does. First, he, he goes up to Peter, and he asks Peter to push the boat out from the shore so that he could preach to all these people who are coming, all right? That all these people, they were, they were drawn to Jesus, they, and Jesus really just needed a way to project his voice, and the water provided really just a, a, a natural amplification system. All right, and so he does it. Peter just does it, what Jesus asked. And, and I'll stop there and I'll say this, guys. Why were people swarming around Jesus? Have you thought about that? I mean, why did people keep coming around Jesus? They kept flocking to him. The answer is it's because he preached the word of God. That the word of God is, is powerful and it brings people in. Because we as people, we, we have the, the thumbprint of God in our lives, and, and we try and fill it with a bunch of different things, but when the Holy Spirit of God breaks in through his word, there's something in us that comes alive and we say, okay, I'm home. And it draws people in. They, they, we don't experience this. We hear story after story. You hear this with Corey. It's the word of God, and it's drawing people to Jesus. And, and you know, for us, maybe if you're anything like me, as a young leader, I remember being in seminary, and I had a professor named Dr. Fry, just this old Baptist preacher and super smart, but just really old. And uh, I mean, yeah, he just was. But Dr. Fry would be like, all that matters is that you preach the word of God. And I'm like, Dr. Fry, but tell me how to grow a church. Like, I need to know, like, how do you get people? And he's like, preach the word of God. And I'm like, no, seriously, what do you do? Rob, preach the word of God. I'm like, do you have like Alzheimer's right now? Is that all you can say? Like, just what do you, that might not be nice. I'm sorry. But no, preach the word. This is what he would say over and over and over. And I, as a young leader, would be like, no, 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 that's not the way you got to do it. You need strategy, you need lights, you need smoke machines, you need all this stuff to draw people in. And it's not it, guys. I've tried that. You preach the word. And so for you at your connection groups, 
as you go through life, you preach the word, not in a weird way, but the word is in you that it naturally comes out of you and people are drawn to that. It's the word of God. Now, after Jesus is done teaching them the word of God, he looks at Peter and he goes and tells him to go out into the middle of the lake and start fishing again. And I want you to note the irony, okay, in this passage, all right, because here's a, here's a carpenter and a preacher, and he's telling a fisherman who this is his livelihood. He, this is what he's done, what his family has done. And he goes to this fisherman, and he says, it's time to fish, and here's what we got to do. Right? It's, it's, it's ironic that this would happen. And we can gather from that the conditions were not right for, for fishing, as, as Peter notes. That not only is it still daytime, right, because Jesus had just finished preaching, it's still daylight, and they would oftentimes fish at night when the fish were, were closer to the surface. But the night before... It was a waste of time, and they caught nothing. The, the conditions were just really bad for fishing. But Peter, I want you to look at this. Peter has this unexpected reply. Look at this. He says, we toiled all night and took nothing. He said, Jesus, like, you don't understand. Right? We, we tried that. We didn't do anything. But look what he says. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Guys, from my perspective... I don't think many of us respond to Jesus in this way. That we are so prideful as people that we think that we have a better way than Jesus. Even today, many people hear the word of God, be it from the Bible or the Holy Spirit through prayer, and rather than listening and obeying, we just kind of shove it off to the side and we do our own thing. And we do this because ultimately, you might not say this, but ultimately you, you, you think that you know more than God. You think that you got it right and God got, has it wrong. This is the same thing that happened with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? God says, hey, don't do this. And what do they do? They do it. It's the same exact thing, that we give part of our life in obedience to Jesus. But when it comes to my career, no, that's like my expertise. This is my thing. Like, I'll, I'll do this. When it comes to my money, no, 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 you don't need to tell me about that. You want me to go to church? I'll go to church. I'll take communion and I'll fill up a bag, right? But don't tell me what I need to do with certain parts of my life. And Peter could have done that here. He could have looked at Jesus and said, hey, you know, you're, you're, you're a carpenter. Why don't you just go like build a chair? Okay, go do something like that. I'll take care of the fishing. Right? He could have totally said that. But no, he listened and he obeyed. And guys, here's what I want you to know. For a disciple, the proper response to the word of God in our lives is anything, anytime, anywhere. That's it. And when we follow God, blessings come. Look at Jesus' brother James, chapter one. It's gonna come up here on the screen. I love this. He says, be doers of the word of God and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Guys, when we hear the word of God, the proper response is what Peter said. At your word, I'll do it. Even if it scares the crap out of us even if we're not sure what the next step is gonna be. We know that Jesus is king and he's good and he's got a plan. And as a Christian, I have submitted my life to him and we say, okay, I'll do it. 
I need your spirit to comfort me and empower me because I'm scared to death. But we do it. And so I'll ask you that question, guys. Is your life marked by obedience to Jesus and his word? Ask that. Be audacious enough to ask that this week. Let's keep going. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, and I want you to underline this next part, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Guys, this one's a difficult one, okay? But a disciple of Jesus is to be marked by brokenness and humility. All right, look at Peter. He listened to Jesus. He did what he said. And then when Peter saw what Jesus did in supplying such a huge amount of fish, he recognized that this had to be an act of God. And he finally saw Jesus for who he was is in that being God. And I want you to see this. Look at verse 5. In verse 5, he calls Jesus master. But in verse 8, after he saw what Jesus did, he calls him Lord. And as he recognizes that he's Lord, he sees his identity in his inherent holiness and Peter painfully is aware of his own sin and his own brokenness in his life, so much so that even in the rush to get all the fish, which remembered for Peter, it wasn't just about, oh, cool, we got a bunch of fish. This was his money. This was his livelihood. This was putting food on the table. But in the midst of all this stuff, because he saw his brokenness before Jesus and his sin, he forgets about the fish and he bows before Jesus and he says, I'm broken, I'm messed up. And guys, I so want our church to get this. This is a prerequisite for following Jesus as his disciple and should mark the lives of anyone who claims to be a Christian. It's humility and awareness of our brokenness. And so many people don't get this. I had the privilege of, of speaking and preaching at our, our Salt Company fall retreat a few weeks back. And uh, I, I shared this with them is that for, for many of us, when we think about a, a walk with God and coming to Jesus, we, we think about it as like a job interview. Uh, you been to a job interview? A couple of you? Yeah, if not, you should get one, okay? <laughs> but a job interview, you go to a job interview, you, you, you have your, your resume with what? All your good stuff, right? And you put it forward and you say, okay, here's, here's really what I'm good at. What are you, what are you bad at? Well, you know, I just, I just work too hard, right? You know, and you give that type of thing, right? And you're laughing because you said it, right? But you give out your, your job resume. And when you go to a job interview, it's all about your performance, everything that's good about you, all that you do right. Guys, it's not like that when we come to Jesus. The coming to Jesus is, is not about a job interview. It's like going to the doctor's office. That you go to the doctor's office, why? Because you're in desperate need of help. Right? You walk into the doctor's office and they say, what's wrong? It's not like you're like, well, I'm actually doing pretty well today and I don't really need to be. No, you're like, I got this thing and it smells and it's itching, right? I got gas and I can't control it. The diarrhea is coming out, right? You just, I don't know, that's weird. I'm just gave too many pictures, <laughs> right? But this is what we do when we go to the doctor. Guys, that's what it's like following Jesus. We're open and we're humble and we're broken and we're saying, here's my crap. Everybody knows it's there. Just, and why do you do that at the doctor? Because he can help. Jesus is our great physician. He can help. And we don't hide behind pride and perfection. It's brokenness. And this is what I love about Peter. 
He's a guy who falls and fails all the time, that he screws up all the time. He's like my son, Titus, who's working on body coordination, right? He's trying to sprint and run around, and he's constantly slipping and falling on his face and smacking his head. He's always falling down. This is Peter. That's what he's doing. Any of you feel like your walk with God is like that? You're trying really hard, but you're smacking your face off of everything, and you're constantly falling, and you're like, I don't know if I can do it, and you're just an idiot. You feel like that? Welcome to Peter's life. And I love this. Here's the thing, guys. As we watch Peter's life throughout the Bible, he always gets up. And someone in here needs to know this today, that what Peter shows us is this, is that just because a man is down does not mean he's out. Because there's always the grace of God. That you haven't screwed up too much. There's always the grace of God. And Peter, as he goes through his life and messes up, he, he comes to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, man, I'm sorry. I did this. And then he walks away and he goes and he screws up again. He's like, Jesus, I'm sorry. And Jesus is like, Peter, I know. I love you. And as he continues to encounter the love of God, it changes his heart, it changes his life in such a way that he becomes more and more and more like Jesus as this love of God takes over him. And I love that Peter is not spiritually mature in trusting Jesus in the beginning here, but he's teachable, he's humble, he's repentant. And when he blows it, he's open about it. And he owns it. And he keeps coming back to Jesus. Guys, and I want that for you. I want that level of freedom for you. I want this so desperately for our church. Be that person that even when you blow it, confess it and go to Jesus. And Peter, he shows us the type of people that God loves to use. They're broken and they're humble. That Peter is, is a leader in the early church, right? He has spiritual authority in the early church. He wrote books of the Bible, but he's just an ordinary everyday guy. He's jacked up and he's broken and he's open about it. Guys, are you? Is your connection group more like a job interview or is it like a doctor's office? Do all of you come together and, and talk about how spiritual you are or does it get real and say, no, this is where I'm struggling. This is where my life is. This is what I'm questioning my faith right now. This is how my marriage is. Like, is that the realness that marks our church and your connection group? It needs to be. And we move towards that. Keep going. Verse 9. For he and all, and who, okay, let's see this again. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. I want you to circle catching men. This is the fourth thing that we see, that disciples are marked by gospel-driven mission. Right, Jesus tells Peter that he's going to take him from a fisher of fish to a fisher of men. And this is really Jesus' agenda. It's not just in Peter either, but if you're a Christian and you're following Jesus, this is his agenda in you, that he tells Peter, I'm going to make you into something that you're currently not. This is sanctification. Right, he's going to take a fisherman and he's going to make him a missionary and an evangelist for God's mission. Now I'll pause, okay? God's mission. What, it, what is that? And guys, there's been thousands upon thousands of, of pages written in books about the mission of God. We could stand up here for hours. But, but I'll say this, guys. It's Jesus and people. People meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people. That's it. That's the mission of God. 
And since it's all about Jesus, that means that we should be all about evangelism. And this is what Jesus is talking about here when he's talking about fishing for men. All right, that he looks at Peter and says, okay, you're great at catching fish, you're a, you're a fisherman, but what about people? Are you, are you good at catching them? He's, he's really asking Peter the question, hey, can you take everything in your life? Can you take your resources, your experiences, your talents, your gifts, your abilities, your money, your wisdom, your sin, can you take all of that and give it away in such a way that people that are far from God come to know God so that they can have salvation that you have and have a hope for an eternity? That's what Jesus is asking Peter. Jesus says, will you do that, Peter? And Docs, I'll ask you the question, will you do that? Everything in your life to leverage it so that people can meet Jesus because that's why we exist. Everything we do is with the hope that it brings opportunities for someone to meet Jesus. And if you're here today, guys, and, and maybe you're kind of just exploring Christianity and this maybe even feels a little bit of like a, an uncomfortable scene and you feel a little bit uncomfortable, I just want to say, don't, don't be uncomfortable. Right? I love that you're here. We love you. We, we pray for you. We don't want anything from you. All right? All we want from you is just to, to tell you about Jesus and to know that just like me, just like all of us, every person in this world before Jesus, we're basically playing a game of chicken with a freight train and hell is on the other side but it doesn't have to be that way. Because Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus lived for you. Jesus lives for you. He took everything from you to give you his righteousness. He's made a way for you. This is the gospel, the good news for all people, that there is a way that you have a heavenly father that loves you. And he's brought you to this place to tell you about that. And honestly, guys, one of my biggest fears is that as we plant this church, that we would, you know, as we started, we were so excited about inviting people, and you guys were handing out invite cards, and it was great, right? And you were inviting your neighbors and people that you met in the urinal next to you guys. You were just like, hey, did you go there? And that's weird. I don't know. You guys didn't do that. That's weird. I don't know. Something. Medicine. Okay. Um, but we're inviting people, right? We're so excited about that. My biggest fear is that we would somehow forget about this and start to focus inward. All right, and I know that no one here is like likely gonna say, man, I don't care about people that are far from God, but here's what I'll say to that, is like, show me by your life, right? That, that our lives and the way that we spend our money and the way that we do relationships, I mean, it, it says a lot about what you value and what you believe, because we gotta be about the mission of God. The last thing here. The fifth mark of the disciple that we see through Peter is this. A disciple is marked by total surrender. Verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything. I want you to circle this. They left everything and followed him. Guys, they left literally everything. They walked away. Not just from all the fish that they have caught, and they never caught that many fish, but they walked away from those fish, but they literally walked away from everything that they owned their nets, their boats, their livelihood, their business, all right? They, they walked away from all of their money, all of their resources, literally everything to follow Jesus. All right, and here's what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying that to be a disciple, you need to quit your job and to do something else, okay? That's not what you need to do. But here's the point. Guys, a life for and with Jesus is about absolute surrender to the voice and the will of God. That we'll live our lives in such a way 
that when we hear the word of God and the spirit of God prompting us to do something, the spirit of God prompting us to say something, to give something, whatever it is, we do it. And we say anything, anytime, anywhere, and we just surrender and live with open hands to God. These men, they left everything and they gave up all that they had. Why? What's the context here? Why did they do this? To become fishers of men so that people would meet Jesus. That's why they left it. Jesus said, come on, I'm gonna help you, empower you to make a difference in this world, to work with me, to see people say yes to Jesus. Will you give up everything? And these people said yes. Because what are you willing to pay so that people would meet Jesus? Because this is what the church needs to be asking. One of the rhythms of our church is to give generously, that we give of our time, our talent, our treasure in such a way that not so we can get more speakers and lights and all this stuff, but so that we can propel ministry and push ministry forward so that why? So people would meet Jesus. This is why we plant churches. This is why we're already talking about Milwaukee because there's a lot of college students there and a half a million people there, a million people there that need Jesus. And that's gonna cost us people, that's gonna cost us time, this is gonna cost us money, but it's worth it because we're becoming fishers of men and we surrender it all to God. So guys, here's how I'm gonna end. I'm gonna have the band come up right now. Um, guys, you have, a, you have a lot to think about. You really do, all right? This is one of those passages where this is when the Bible becomes a mirror, right? And, and we see ourselves. So we, as we're looking at Peter, we start to see a reflection of ourselves, and we ask that question, is my life reflecting what Peter and Jesus is affirming and all this stuff? And we ask like, okay, well, what's going on in me? And I don't wanna let this moment pass, okay? So what we're gonna do is we're just gonna take a few minutes to consider what's going on within us right now, how God is, is speaking, all right? And I'm just gonna read part of a psalm, all right? And I'm just gonna give you just a few minutes. It's not gonna be overly long and weird, but I really want you just to focus your eyes on Jesus. And I want you to ask this question in Psalm 139. Take a look at this. This is what the psalmist said. And this is for us today, Doxa. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We go before God and we just say, God, search me. As we consider these, these marks, being marked by the word of God, obeying Jesus, being marked by humility, being part of God's mission, living in total surrender, we just say, Spirit, you're, you're welcome, and God, just search me and reveal to me what is my next step. Because, guys, you might be thinking of this list, and you might be thinking, oh, my gosh, like, you say you're jacked up. I'm, like, really jacked up. There's nothing, none of those points. Guys, there's no room for condemnation and guilt here. Romans 8, 1, therefore, there is no condemnation there in Christ Jesus. It's only hope that God is breaking in to show us something about ourselves and himself so we can take another step to becoming like him. So I'm gonna read this one more time and just give you a few minutes just to sit. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting.
us there.